When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're talking real money. As the podcast popularity grows, and grows really rapidly, I'm very impressed, uh, we, <laughs> we're getting overwhelmed with questions. So I can't have a topic today. I just have to get to questions. I have so many of them. So the next two days, we're going to do a lot of Q&A stuff, unless there's something really big that hits my feeds and things that I read. So... You send your questions in one of three ways. You either call them in to 855-935-TALK or you go to TalkingRealMoney.com and hit the contact form. And on that, you can either type in your question like that or you can hit the little microphone button and send it that way. So do it that way or call 855-935-TALK and leave your question on that service. Any of those ways, it works really well. But we do get the bulk of our questions typed in. So we are going to start with one of those and we'll mix them up back and forth. Okay. All right. Right to the questions then. Thank you all for listening. Glad you're there. Oh, by the way, I'm Don McDonald. This is Talking Real Money, the podcast. I think you probably knew that, but I just want to make it really clear. Subject, time to get safe. Okay. You guys are amazing, fantastic, funny. Thank you. Can Tom dance? I doubt it. Was Don ever a punk rocker? No. <laughs> I just, I'm just learning to play guitar, though. But I don't think that counts. I've always wanted to do that, and I've never really sat down and done it, so I'm trying to do it now. Anyway, on to your question. I do need some very relaxing advice. Otherwise, I wouldn't be typing this at 3 a.m. I am a trustee of my family's finances and have done quite well in equities, but it's time to get it right. We've got about 250000 all in Vanguard with 70% in tech equities and just put 25% in Target Fund 2025. I'm 70 and my siblings in their 60s. Mom in her 90s long-lived family. Also, nearly 300000 in a Wells Fargo savings account. I know we're getting robbed by that covered wagon crew Mom felt safe is now incapable. Thus, I need help fixing this mess. Can you suggest an alternative to this risk and low-interest dilemma, please? Thank you for this and your amazing podcast, where you guys shower and shave with me daily. God, it's a radio. It's really fun. The podcast, not the shower. Well, showers showers can be fun in their own special way. Anyway, Elliot, let's talk. Let's talk. Uh, yeah, you're from Jersey. Let's talk. All right, here's the deal. 300K in Wells Fargo, unless you need 300K of immediate liquidity, is 300K too much in Wells Fargo. I wouldn't even have it in Wells Fargo. How much do you need 
for a year or two of liquidity. Whatever that amount is, go to bankrate.com, find the highest yielding online savings account, and plop that amount in there. Whatever is left, I would probably, because, and again, this depends on what you're going to do with the money. If everybody is going to use it to live off of the 250 and the remainder of the 300, you, your siblings, and your mom, then you want to put it in something that is not crazy. And tech stocks, yes, you've done well, but they're crazy dangerous, crazy volatile. That's crazy. You need to relax, as you said. I have to tell you that putting 100% of the 300 and the 250 in the Vanguard Target 2025 product is probably a really good idea because you get a nice mix of equities and fixed income all in one portfolio that gets automatically rebalanced for you. Therefore, you don't have to do anything and you can get a better night's sleep, which is important. So find a good, higher yielding, we're talking 1% online savings account for the money you're going to need over the next couple of years to make sure you don't have to touch the other. Then put it all in the 2025 fund and, uh, Get a good night's sleep. Thanks for the note. Again, our number is 855-935-TALK. If you want to call, 855-935-8255. And let us take a call. Hi, Don and uh, Tom. Uh, I don't really own separate stocks, not at all. I did have ETFs at one time. I mean, I did do the mutual funds. Now I do most of the ETFs. But I've got a fundamental question. I'm trying to understand why is it that some companies individual companies repeatedly split the stock when it gets, let's say, higher, like Apple has done. I remember it was at one time 700, then all of a sudden it was 100, 110. Now it's up to, I don't know, four, 500. They can do another split. Why do some companies do that? And some companies like uh, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, the original shock stock price uh, has gotten to, I don't know what it is now, 150, $180,000. And the B shares are about a tenth price. Why some companies do and some don't? Uh, if I owned a company, for example, and my stock price was six hundred dollars, I'd probably cut it down to ten to one, so that a price of sixty dollars, one tenth of the original, would be more manageable for most people to buy, and perhaps might be easier for ETFs and mutual funds to own as well. In any case, my name is Pete. I'm from Vegas. I should have said at the beginning. Um, at the end of this, I'm going to leave you a telephone number if you want to get back to me. It's 702-862-0511, and I'm Pete from Sunny Vegas. Take care. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye now. Well, stock splits serve one purpose, one purpose only, making a stock seem more affordable because it doesn't change anything. You have 100 shares at $100 each, and you split it two for one, now you have 200 shares at $50 each. This used to be a really, really, really important thing because smaller investors would buy one or two shares of stock and they couldn't afford to buy multi-thousand dollar stocks. And so that cut 
the, the these companies out of a huge chunk of the market. So there was a lot more stock splitting going on back in the old days. Now, not as important because most people do their investing through mutual funds. And so the value, the price, the values are the same. The price per share doesn't matter as much. That's why you see stocks in the thousands of dollars a share, because they're owned primarily institutionally. There aren't a lot of individuals who own them. And for those few, and it really is a pretty small number of individuals who speculate in stocks, well, heck, you know, you can do slices of shares now. So having whole shares that cost less isn't that important. Oh, and one other thing that made it very important that shares be at an affordable price back in the day was the fact that before the industry exploded into all these discount firms, it used to be that you would, if you wanted to buy a share or 10 shares or 20 shares or 50 shares of a stock, you would have to pay an eighth of a point more, an eighth of a point more which is pretty substantial. So people bought in round lots. Now, if you got a $300 a share stock, buying a round lot of 100 shares is $30,000. That's serious money. So they would split to make it more affordable, to make it, make it $30 a share. So it's a $3,000 transaction. But anymore, just doesn't matter all that much. Thanks for the call. Again, our number is 855-935-TALK, but you can also send questions in by typing them in at TalkingRealMoney.com. Just go to the contact form. It's that easy. All right, here we've got a relatively long follow-up to a really long question. <laughs> that was a week or so ago. And it subject is, follow-up to the long email from Craig Shorter, I Promised re-tax deferred strategy versus Roth. Hi, Don. Thanks for answering my small novel. This will be shorter. To recap, debt-free, own-own home, $230,000 salary, 49 years old, want to retire on 60, 280000 in a 401k, 130000 in Vanguard, 60 in a Roth IRA for my wife and I, 20000 in HSAs, max everything I can, Roth IRAs, HSA, ESPP, just gives them out. So I skipped through that. Question. I didn't start doing the Roth 401k after tax and maxing everything until we paid off the house end of 2018. Part of the strategy was to be able to invest more aggressively and heavily in the Roth with lower risk, no mortgage. The first $140,000 that was in my 401k was traditional and the company matched $9,250 annually. So the traditional portion will continue to grow and get the company match added each year. Question one, how does it work or how does that work if the 401k grows over the next 11 years with both Roth and traditional money in there growing? How do they separate it out when I want to start withdrawing? They actually sit in two little corners of your 401k. They are accountably, they're accountable separately. So there's a distinction. They, they must be. You, your plan will know which is which. What you want to do when you start withdrawing is start from the the uh, non-Roth portion, the pre-tax money. Let the Roth, because it's tax-free and has some huge benefits when passing on to heirs, particularly if it's your spouse, let that grow 
as long as possible. So you start with the regular, then you go to the Roth. Number two, I keep hearing there's actually an advantage to having both traditional and Roth dollars and that there's a strategy. But I don't understand why I wouldn't just want all Roth um, or where there would be an advantage to use for traditional over Roth in retirement. Yeah, all Roth is probably, for most people like you who save like crazy, probably the best option because it's tax-free. However, some people like to hedge their bets. Yeah, I'm making a lot now, so there's a tax advantage to taking the pre-tax money and investing it. Plus, um, I expect to be in a lower tax bracket when I retire, so therefore there's some advantage to having the traditional 401k. But it's I, I, I would prefer everything be in a Roth if we were all able to start with nothing but a Roth. But given the fact that you have to pay taxes to convert, probably just having both is okay, which leads me to question three. Would you recommend converting? Um, in your bracket, probably not. In retirement, maybe. But, I, you know, I don't think it's that important. Thanks as always, Craig. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate that. 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. Send your questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com. Hit the contact form, and you can also punch a little microphone button on and send your questions in that way. Hi, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my call. A little background. I'm 55, retired, in between careers. I'm blessed with a pension that pays the bills, one of which is a contribution to my Vanguard investment account every month. I have about an eight-month emergency fund and about 200000 and a 457 still through work. Prior to finding you a couple of years ago, my previous investment advice came from Dave Ramsey. My questions are today how to clear, to clear up uh, some of my uh, American fund issues. I have a small Roth IRA and a small investment account, both with American funds. If the information I've received is true, I can't do anything with the investment part, uh, investment account without triggering a taxable event. But I would like to move the Roth IRA over to Vanguard. Last week in podcast 445, you gave a portfolio uh, to an individual that had talked about you know, a hypothetical account of a million dollars, and I would like to use that account. My question is, could you talk about um, the possibility or what are your thoughts on adding the international REIT position and a possible small cap international to that particular portfolio? Any information on the, those topics would be of a great benefit. Keep up the good work, and thank you for your time. There was a little noise on that on this call on this last call, but still the quality's pretty good. I don't know what the noise was, but I tried to take most of that out in post production. Uh, to your question, how do you get out of American funds? Well, you should get out, and I know you're worried about the tax ramifications. But bear in mind, 
you're going to have some of the capital gains and all of the dividends have been taxed along the way in the non-Roth account. So you need to sit down and calculate what your unrealized capital gains are and what that will do to your tax situation if you were to sell them this year or split it up and sell them this year and next year or split it up and sell them this year, next year, and the year after that. Look at how they're going to impact you because eventually you're going to want to pay taxes on it and get it out of there and get it into Vanguard where you're going to pay a lot less in fees. You see, your fees in the American funds are probably right at six times higher than they are with Vanguard. So I would consider just um, doing a little tax planning and taking everything out of there and going 100% into, into Vanguard. Now, I do recall the call where the guy said, yeah, if I had a million dollars and it was in a blind trust and I wasn't going to touch it for 30 years and I could never panic because I didn't know what it was worth, what would you do? And I said, I'd be very aggressive. But again, you know, you got to make sure that, that you're comfortable with that. Please be sure before you do it. But uh, I believe I suggested to him a combination of Vanguard Total World Stock Index, Vanguard Small Cap Value, their Emerging Markets Fund, those kinds of things. But they don't offer an international small cap value fund, for example. Uh, having real estate in the portfolio, if you're going to go with Vanguard, I would just consider their, their uh, REIT index. I think that's fine. I'm not sure there's going to be a huge benefit in having anything in international real estate, although you could, but you know, you're starting to get down to such little tiny pieces that the issue, the concern I have is that it becomes ponderous to rebalance. When you split this thing up in too many pieces, most individuals find the rebalancing process to be a bit tedious and overwhelming. One other place you might want to look for those more esoteric asset classes like international small cap value and emerging and those kinds of things are the new Avantis ETFs. Uh, American Century worked with the former CEO of Dimensional and they created a new family of ETFs where you can get, you can get those smaller asset classes in a portfolio. But I'd be careful. While they can add some return... They're also risky asset classes, and they can scare the living daylights out of people because people tend to look at them alone. They tend to look at them not as part of a portfolio, but as individual pieces. Why am I in this piece? Because it's not doing well. It's, it's one of the things we run into all the time. Years ago, it was, why am I in the S&P 500 when it's going down during the 2000s? During the 20-teens, it was, well, why am I in these international stocks when the S&P 500 is doing better? The problem is when you look at them in isolation, they often scare you. So, so this is why I worry about getting into, as a matter of fact, I've got a question about this. I'm just going to answer this with the next question. Thanks so much for your call. I hope that helps some. But again, probably just go overemphasize U.S. small cap value. Use Vanguard Total World Stock Index Fund for the bulk of it. Throw their REIT fund in, and I think you probably have it covered. Maybe emerging markets. But let me go to another question that was sent in via TalkingRealMoney.com, the contact form. 
The subject is imparting greater knowledge. We can handle it. First, I want to say how much I enjoy your podcast. Definitely one of my favorites. But I have to take issue with your always simplistic recommendations of Vanguard Total World Stock Index, VTWAX, with the explanation that most of us aren't smart enough or disciplined enough to rebalance regularly, and that a fully diversified portfolio, a la Paul Merriman, is just too much to handle. I think that does your listeners a disservice, as is as there is a large segment of your audience that is beyond the simple and yearn for something more interesting and, dare I say, complex in the investing realm. It doesn't have to be all the time, but an occasional podcast that delves into deeper issues that I'm sure you deal with regularly in your investment firm. Paul Merriman would take issue with a market cap weighted fund like VT Wax not being diversified enough, and I think there are better recommendations for some of us You could grow your podcast exponentially by expanding your answers and reaching people of all interests and capability levels. Anyway, enjoy the podcast, and here's to an occasional Don and Tom 2.0. This, Bob, is a question, an issue that has plagued us, that we have thought about for a very long, long, long time. Here's, again, I was starting to explain it before. Here's what we've run into in real life, having done this for a long time. The vast majority, there are always minorities, but the vast majority of people who listen to this show claim to be able to do things that it turns out in reality they cannot or will not do. I'll give you an even simpler Example, not using this is a composite human being that I'm going to talk about. We hear, we hear from people all the time. Listen to your show for years. I want you to take a look at my portfolio. We've been following your advice. And what we see in their portfolio is 10 or 12 individual stocks. Whose advice were they taking? It wasn't ours. And we've also heard from people who say, uh, you know, I was going to rebalance, but the international market just, just seems a little weak right now. Or I was going to rebalance, but I think I'll wait until stock prices go down. That's the way most investors operate because of our brains. It's not, it's not anything we're doing consciously. It's our stupid brains. They make us think we know things that we can't know, but we have and, and seriously are considering, particularly now that we, we have some ETFs that we can look to for some of the smaller asset classes, we've considered putting online, not on the podcast, because the podcast has such a broad reach, but putting online a you know, an eight-fund portfolio or a seven-fund portfolio. But again, the real issue is not that some of you listening aren't smart enough or disciplined enough, it's that we as human beings tend to delude ourselves into thinking we're better at this than we really are. The fact of the matter is the difference, and even Paul will admit to this, because we've talked to him, we talk to Paul all the time, the difference between the two portfolios is not dramatic. It's fractions of a percent to maybe a percent depends on the you know whether how balanced the portfolio is how much in bonds so there's a lot of variation but it's not a dramatic difference but a difference is a difference the problem is often 
that difference is diminished by people's behavior. So I hope that answers the question. I hope that answers all the questions that we got in on this edition. I have tons more for tomorrow, a ton. So listen to the Friday podcast. And remember, you can call in your questions live, live, where we can talk to each other on our Saturday show, which airs live. You can listen to it online. Or if you're in the Seattle area, you can listen on Como Radio. It airs live on Saturdays from noon to 2 Pacific time or 3 to 5 Eastern. And you can call the same number, 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. And we have a standing offer. We will always have this standing offer as long as Tom and I run our investment firm, Vestory. If, for example, if you want to talk with one of our advisors and get advice on how to build that more complex portfolio, we'll do it for you for free. And we're not going to hit you with a high pressure sales pitch. We give this advice out to people all the time. And then it it gives you a chance to talk about your particular situation. So you can set up one of those appointments right now online. You just go to either TalkingRealMoney.com or Vestry.com and click click on the appointment link or go down to the very bottom of the page on Vestry.com. Or go down to the bottom of the page at Vestry.com and just make an appointment with one of our advisors. I absolutely promise you will not get a big old sales pitch for our services, because if you need an advisor, we hope you'll hire us or a firm like ours if you need somebody all the time. Thanks for listening. Appreciate you being there. Visit us at TalkingRealMoney.com or at Vestory.com or at RealInvestingJournal.com or at 401411.com or all the others. Okay? Thanks for listening. Take care. I'm Don McDonald. Talking Real Money. Realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately, consistently predict the future. So, past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That's a wrap.